Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. East Germany, 1961. A communist state cut off from modern Europe, now stuck in a post World War II purgatory. Ernst Degner was known throughout the country as one of its shining stars, a celebrated motorcycle racer who had brought a small measure of glory to his troubled countrymen and women. But on this September day, Degner wasn't on the racetrack. Instead, he was hiding his young wife and their children in the trunk of a friend's car. He hoped to turn his back on his country and escape to the West. Why was Degner leaving East Germany at the height of his fame? How was the Japanese company Suzuki embroiled in his defection? And what secrets did Degner have stuffed in a briefcase that he was carrying with him on that autumn day in communist Germany? Today on Past Gas, the story of the motorcycle racer turned spy Ernst Degner, as well as that of a Nazi engineer named Walter Cotton. From World War II to the glamour and devastation of 1950s Grand Prix racing, Degner and Walter's destinies were shaped by larger-than-life forces but through a series of choices of their own making. They shaped their futures and, in the process, altered the history of motorcycle racing forever. Fast Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about sports. Dude, the modulation on your voice in that last sentence, mwah, chef's yeah. kiss. Mm, chef's kiss. Dude, thank you, man. Mm, podcaster's kiss, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> podcaster's kiss. Someone's been uh, taking notes from the strip club DJ. <laughs> Coming to the stage now, it's Ernst Degner. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's the can't, most Isley Cantina song. <laughs> the best strip club song in the world. I was trying to do a polka. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did hear the... starts doing the chicken dance. Uh-huh. That's great. That's wonderful. Friday, boys. It is Friday. Friday, let the hogs loose. It has been a very heavy week this week in the donut garage. I cut a hole in the bottom of a car. A little whoopsie. Nolan, a little whoopsie. Nolan and I have been sucking in fumes and metal flakes. I got a ton of little tiny splinters in me. Yeah, I can feel it. I might have yeah. COVID. Yeah, Joe might have COVID. We had a big old COVID scare. By scare, I mean a lot of people got COVID. <laughs> I took a test last night. I don't have it. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome to Past Gas. If this is your first time listening, thank you. Welcome. This is yeah. Uh, where have you been this whole time? Where you listen to uh, Karen Kilgariff or something? Yeah, I'm glad that they're here. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna 
look a gift horse in the mouth, as it were. Nice. Yeah, gift horses are tricky because sometimes you want to return a, the horse. You're like, <laughs> yeah, maybe you already have one. I already have a car in my garage spot. Where am I going to put you? I don't have the money for hay. Living room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, um, the voices you're hearing, well, the first one is mine. My name is Nolan Sykes. Welcome. <laughs> and that laugh you just heard, that's Joe Weber over there. Slime off a of slug's back. Oh, yeah. And finally, we got James Pumphrey. It's the macaroni with the cheese. <laughs> that's really good. I can tell you went really loud because our Zoom call limits your volume. Yeah. And it, it just went that. quiet <laughs> halfway yeah, through. Yeah, it like goes quiet. It cuts out. And I'm like, okay, it must have gone to like a high register on that one. Yeah, um, I went falsetto. Ooh, I can't wait to listen to this back. It, yeah, I wish it didn't cut out because I sounded just like Frank Ocean. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, I'm definitely listen, listening back to this one for sure. My boy pretty like a girl. He got five stories to tell. Go both ways like Chanel. Go both. Guys, I wasn't playing Spotify. That was me. Whoa. Oh, wait. Yeah. I was going to say, we're going to get flagged and we have to play, pay EMI or whatever. No, I met a genie. <laughs> no way. Was it yeah. Sinbad? <laughs> yeah. No and one of my wishes, he looked like him, but he was like, I'm not him. <laughs> like one of my wishes was, I want to sing just like Frank Frank Ocean. That's a really good wish. That'd be it. That's a hell of a wish. When I was in high school, I really wished that my singing voice sounded like Lane Get Staley. No, Lane Staley from Alice in Chains. Mm. Yeah. I used to think when I was a kid, it would be really funny if I could sing exactly like Whitney Houston. <laughs> <laughs> that I would mean, be really funny. That'd be amazing. You still listen to that that like iconic Whitney moment in I Will Always Love You, and it still gives me chills. That reminds me of the Cold War. It does. Yeah, it gives me chills like the Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get into our story this week. The Motorcycle Spy. The spy who rode me. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's that's the motorcycle's memoir. I've been really busy with high-low and stuff. I haven't done as much research as I normally do, which is none. Um, <laughs> this guy's a mouse, right? No, you're thinking, oh. you're thinking of Ratatouille. No, I'm thinking of a mouse Ralph. on a motorcycle. The Matt, mouse Ralph. on the motorcycle, the Beverly Cleary. No, not Fievel, Joe. There is a mouse on a motorcycle. His name's Ralph. And then at the end of the movie, he drives an ambulance to bring the kids some Advil. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, Fievel would never do that. <laughs> Let's keep it moving. All right. Our main source for this episode is Max Oxley's Stealing Speed, the biggest spy scandal in motorsport history. Today's story starts with humble beginnings, specifically the creation of the two-stroke engine. This type of motor was invented by one Carl Benz in 1878, just two years after Nicholas Otto had significantly improved the four-stroke engine. Uh, if you want to know more about Carl Benz and his first car, check out the episode we talked about Bertha Benz and her big drive in that car. For a little bit of extra context, this moment is right before Gottlieb Daimler and Wilhelm Maybach built the first motorcycle in 1885. These German makers were having a mini engineering renaissance, constantly one-upping each other with innovation. Fast forward to 1919 at a factory in Zschopau, Germany, where steam engineer Jürgen Skaft Rasmussen, originally from Denmark, owned a company named DKW, which stood oh. for Dampfkraftwagen, or steam-powered car. DKW later became Audi. Oh, Whoa. Dude, this is like in Walk the Line <laughs> when they all hung out. Yeah. Hey, it's me, Buddy Holly. Hey, it's me, Buddy Holly. Hey, buddy. Hey, guy. That was a really good set you just did there. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, what's it going on? Elvis Aaron, Elvis Aaron Presley. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the thick of all that water vapor, gentlemen, Rasmussen developed a tiny new two-stroke engine threw it on a bicycle, and called it Dash Kleine Wanda, which translates to The Little Wonder. Fun. That was my nickname when I was a child performer. 
Me too. <laughs> Whoa, no way. Yeah, you guys yeah. are in different circuits. I heard about you. Yeah. Dude. yeah. <laughs> Joe was up north. Yeah, I did the Midwestern circuit. Yeah, I guess our circuits never crossed. Yeah. Yeah. That's huh. weird. I never heard about you before. Whoa. <laughs> That's okay. You sure? Yeah, no, I was pretty like caught up in, you know, performing and sell yeah. sold out malls. Yeah, but little Kentucky wonder, huh? Nothing. No, it doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> Surprising. It was pretty big. <laughs> I mean, I was little. I was a little wonder. No, yeah, but... I get that. I understand now. I just had never heard that name when I was performing. Hmm. That's surprising. Anyway, Das Kreidewunders, the Little Wonders, were wildly popular, much like James and Joe, and led to years of growth for DKW. And before the war, the first one, they produced 45,000 bikes a year, making them the biggest motorcycle manufacturer in the world. DKW was also a respected racing team, winning the European Championship four times in the 1930s. Their crown jewel was a 250cc bike that Ewald Klug drove in the 1938 TT Trophy races, which ripped a record speed for the time of 114 miles per hour. Oh, no. That sounds terrifying. Probably the skinniest (laughs) tires in the world. No no suspension, terrible roads. Uh-uh. Sheep, sheep just like crossing the road. <laughs> yeah, and so many probably sheep. like a, a newsboy cap for a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> so. like, back then, helmets were purses that they borrowed from their wives and they just put them on their heads. So it's a, it was a different time. Different time. DKW had become the proven leader in global two-stroke technology. They even had cars and pickup trucks running their engines. But that would dramatically change in the most fateful year of the 20th century, 1939. DKW, along with basically every other engineering and manufacturing firm in Germany, were commanded to change course and fuel the Nazi war effort. DKW was swept up with it. Ernst Degner was still a boy too young for both motorcycle racing and conscription by the Nazis. Not so lucky, though was a brilliant 20-year-old German engineer named Walter Kaden. Walter Kaden spent his youth obsessing over motorcycles. His childhood fascination with racing was spurred by his father, who loved motors of all kinds and even took his son to the grand opening of the Nürburgring. His dad was also a chauffeur for management at DKW, which helped Walter get an apprenticeship at their Zschupau. <laughs> which helped Walter get an apprenticeship at their Chopau factory while he was still in college. As the war intensified, Caden was spared the battlefield. Instead, he'd work on aircraft technology. Beyond the planes he serviced, Caden became particularly interested in rocket weaponry, Uh-oh. namely the V program and its inventor, America's sweetheart, Werner von Braun. More on him later. The results of Caden and those he worked with were groundbreaking, but truly horrific. Nazi jets and the V rockets pummeled the Allies, claiming thousands of lives in World War II. It actually could have been a lot worse. The jets uh, were kind of too late to the war effort, even though they were uh, they, they didn't produce very many of them. And then the V rockets, like the V two, uh, they couldn't really produce enough of them. Again, thankfully. But they they were able to launch a few of those over to Britain, and uh, it was not good. Yeah, there's a story of one uh, hitting a like a movie theater, and I don't think that was in Britain though. But anyway, just a, a truly devastating weapon. Uh, you know, killed like 500 people just with one. So you know, history is thankful that they weren't able to produce more of them. Well said. After World War II ended, the old DKW factory was brought back to life by the Soviets, who now controlled East Germany. The factory was now part of the communist state's auto conglomerate known as IFA. IFA leadership decided that the group should start a racing program to help with promotion, and so began their Grand Prix team, MZ Motorrad. That's super interesting, a a communist racing team. I know, isn't it? We should look into making a whole episode on that. I mean, a lot of the rest of this episode is about that team. All right, well, okay, wish granted. Joe. Let's go. <laughs> oh, no, that's my second wish. <laughs> oh, man, you spoiled it. No, what you a, wasted oh, it. Man. 
dude, dude Sinbad I is totally like wasted. you fool dude that's the problem with genies they're so tricky <laughs> you gotta be really careful about how you word stuff four stroke bikes from the west dominated GP leaderboards during the 50s but because cash was tight for engineering MZ had no chance but to develop a two stroke model the team knew that if they were ever to stand a chance, they would need someone who could maximize their underdog engine's potential. MZ turned to Volter Kaden to help. When the DKW company was swallowed up by West Germany, Kaden had ended up running a woodworking business, of all things. But as the communist regime tightened their grip on individual businesses, he was forced to shut it down. So when IFA offered him, uh, so when IFA offered him both race team manager and chief engineer positions. He was eager to sign. He was making wooden motorcycles at this time. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they weren't very fast. As the 1950s began, Caden worked on the new two stroke in the garage in Chopau. He had a singular focus, getting an engine ready for the 1955 world championship at the West German GP to be held at the Nürburgring. Caden's innovation was to look at the two stroke less like a pumping chunk of metal, but a vibrant sonic instrument. He knew that the sound waves in the two-stroke exhaust could act as a power boost like he had learned in the war. So he created his own exhaust to realize the full potential of the pressure waves from the combustion chamber. He took advantage of a rotary valve, which meant the engine's valves didn't have to be strictly timed like a conventional piston-ported two-stroke. What the hell is this thing? I'm having a trouble like conceiving it. It sounds like it has a charge pipe, which kind of it's not doesn't act like a turbocharger, but like pulls air through the motor, through the exhaust. Very interesting. But this rotary valve concept is gnarly. The first manifestation of Caden's work was a 125cc racer. It weighed 40 pounds less than their four-stroke rivals. And crucially, it delivered more horsepower at the same capacity. When the 55 MZs rolled off the truck at the Nürburgring, spectators, rival teams, and journalists were skeptical to say the least. The 125 Look at that small. Look at this small little bug. Look at that small little bug. <laughs> oh, she looks like a little wonder. He wants to hang with the big boys. <laughs> oh, you want to hang with the big boys? <laughs> Maybe you should go get yourself a little strutter, baby boy. <laughs> I see that the town mummy has made strutters and pretzels, little boy. Maybe you should go get yourself a little strutter with some cream. Hope you brought another pair of lederhosen, little boy. I because you're going to be poo-pooing in your pants once the race. Your breakfast pretzel, <laughs> you're going to poo-poo in your lederhosen. Ah, oh, you're going to pee-pee your breakfast beer all over the front <laughs> of your leather overalls, baby boy. You're having him on hosen gescheisen. What? That means I just shit my pants in German. Oh. <laughs> Do you Google that? No, no, there's this, uh, there's this movie called Stalingrad. It's about the siege of Stalingrad, and there's a guy, like, this dude shoots his, like, <laughs> one of his buddies, like a German sh- soldier shoots one of his com- one of his dudes, and then he says that that he shit his pants. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's the only German I know. <laughs> I love throwing that one at Jesse because uh, he uh-huh. knows German, and it yeah. gets him every it gets him every time. <laughs> I can't use it too often though. I gotta, oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. The one twenty five looked like a hammy down compared to the sleek bikes of the West and its shrill ratatat motors. I love ratatat. Uh, sound was swallowed up by the thunderous droll of the four strokes. In the words of Grand Prix journalist Mick Woulette, we all smiled when we saw the MCs. We were sure they would seize when held flat out on the straight. These old MCs look so, so sick. They're just like it, exactly how you would imagine a communist bike. It's very bare, but it looks so dope. I think this guy is a like more British sounding. His name's Mick Willett, and he's. Wait, what you do a impression? We all smiled when we saw the MZs. We were sure they would seize when held flat out on the straights. <laughs> I had a little bit of Kentucky in there. Hey, give back my wallet. <laughs> Small wallet now. Why are you wearing those? Small wallet now. Fingerless gloves. I fucking hate pikeys. What the hell is it? Is this a Discover card? <laughs> 
I'm not from the future. <laughs> oh, that guy just turned into a purse. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The race wasn't a full on fairy tale. The Italian MV team won the day, but after it was all over, the buzz around the paddock was all about the MZs. The two strokes finished in fifth and sixth, a far better showing than anyone had anticipated, including Mick Willette. <laughs> oh, boy. Boy. <laughs> boy. <laughs> Fuck me, Bob. <laughs> MZ had the racing world's attention. All they needed now was an elite rider. Enter Ernst Dengner. <laughs> now 24, who Caden had signed before the 1956 season. I thought of my name. I was just there in like big neon lights. <laughs> Ernst Dengner. Dengner had already started turning heads when he beat MZ in the GDR championship aboard a far less powerful Zimmerman bike. He was vain, but gritty, kind of like uh, Jeremiah, <laughs> and had relentless ambition to be a champion. He also, also like Jeremiah. Yeah. Yeah. He also had a deep understanding of how to maximize the two strokes performance. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> uh, Oxley described Ernst as a natural born engine whisperer, like Zach Job. Wow. Well, we got hitting all the yeah. guys in here. You'd think a little prestige would come with being tapped as an official factory writer, but in the cash strapped world of East Germany, that was not the case. Degner was required to carry out mundane tasks around the shop and earned a worker's wage. Even the helmet Caden provided Degner was a repainted pre-war model. Well, I mean, it is a East German racing team. It's like the Mighty Ducks, but also kind of bad guys. It's like the Mighty Ducks if Rochester, Minnesota uh, was kind of like a post-war hellhole <laughs> and they had just a bunch of like rusty scraps lying around. Yeah. And they were communist. And you weren't allowed to leave. Yeah. Or you'd <laughs> yeah. be shot. Despite the lack of funding, Degner found quick success. In the 1957 season of the East German Road Racing Championship, he won all but three races and claimed the title. I mean, it's East German Road Racing Championship. <laughs> and by 1959, he also took his first 125cc Grand Prix victory, cementing MZ as an undeniable new force within the circuit. Much of the credit for this incredible run was due to Caden's engineering breakthroughs. Along with a new six-speed gearbox, he had managed to push the 125's engine to almost double the output of the 56 model, 16.5 horsepower at 9,200 RPM. Whoa, 92. This thing sounds sick in like a specific way. 
And while this newly discovered power resulted in faster bikes, we need to acknowledge the true insanity it took for Degner and his pals to actually race one of these things. If you're a fan of the show, you already know that the racers of the 1950s and 60s were extreme characters living on the edge, and a shocking number of them paid the ultimate price in pursuit of speed. Quote, The reality was that one of us died every month during the race season. Remembers Jim Redman, a six-time world champion with Honda during the 1960s. Frank Paris, Degner's teammate, said that the carnage eventually numbed his senses. Quote, There were so many deaths that, to be perfectly honest, you got immune to it. In 62 and 63, there were 14 of us that got killed. You didn't think about it. It was only when you came in at the end of the race and someone said, so-and-so is not with us anymore. That's when it really hits you. Frank Paris kind of sounds like poopies from Jackass. <laughs> I was trying to do more of a berry. Oh, oh that was a good berry. Mm-hmm. That was really good. That was good, pretty yeah. good. The post-war citizens of Europe were seemingly numb to death. The riders who failed to come back at the end of races weren't that different from the pilots who had failed to return from battle. Crowds were starved of entertainment in those bleak years of recovery. So despite the relentless loss of life, the races were a welcomed escape from it. For the racers, who dubbed themselves the Continental Circus, the way to stay sane was simple. Ride as fast as possible, and if we survive, bring on the women and booze. In the words of Jim Redman, We realized we could get killed, so we lived it up between meetings and maximized on life. It was like, fuck it. We've survived another (laughs) mission. Let's live it up a bit. I'm going to say that next time. We all get together to party. Let's maximize this life. (laughs) (laughs) Degner wouldn't become one of the casualties of that era, but if his medical chart was stocked at Barnes & Noble, it'd be in the horror section. He suffered a brain hemorrhage, severe facial burns, a broken arm, femur, and shattered kneecap, along with dozens of other injuries. Ouch. Sounds like a Wednesday night down at the S&M club. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want a I facial scar, but I don't want to go through the hassle of it. You can get one. You can get them. Really? Yes. Yeah, the guy. Who's, who was it? The guy was it Kyle's who, buddy that does it? Yeah, the guy who put the magnet in Zach's hand will do it. Will do facial Does he just scars. slice you with a blade or something? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Ouch. No. He's a guy who no, puts magnets in hands. <laughs> yeah. His, his, <laughs> he's got a tongue like a snake. No, he's cool. Yeah, I draw the no, line at cool. snake tongue. I want to do a scar over my eye. <laughs> Just like the most like <laughs> messed up looking YouTuber. <laughs> yeah, I don't want him to go a little bit too deep and now I can't see out of my eye. I got to get skinnier though. You've never seen like a heavier person with a face scar? I well, haven't. It just doesn't look cool. I got to get like skinny as Jeremiah. Dude, that's impossible. He's six foot five and he's 170. I'm going to get as skinny as Jeremiah by August. It's June right now. (laughs) (laughs) You're just shooting Hilo in a sweatsuit, like one of those plastic bag suits. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be healthy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to look bad. I'm going to look great. Yeah. (sighs) Wow. When doctors told Degner he'd be out for a month after a crash in 1960, Degner escaped out of a hospital window so he could prep for a race. This restless individualism would prove to carry over into other parts of Degner's life as he began to rise as a celebrity in East Germany. Restless individualism and East Germany being used in the same sentence is very interesting. As the West rapidly grew in wealth, MZ did everything in their power to keep their star rider happy. The state paid for Degner and his sweetheart, Gerda's wedding in 1957. (laughs) Then they supplied a large apartment as their family began to grow. That's not very communist of them. No, they would do that. No, it's very communist of them. The state's paying for it because they got to keep. I know, but but it's not, you know, like he's getting special treatment. Uh, Lots of people got special treatment. I think, yeah, um, you know, the VIPs, they get their, their big apartments. I don't think this the is out of the ordinary. Key. Yeah, I don't think this is out of the ordinary. Yeah, I mean, if you look at like Stalinist Russia and then what happened after Stalin 
uh, passed away. Like, yeah, there's a lot of this kind of stuff going on in the Soviet Union. Greasing the wheels of the world. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> of their world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Donut Media, greasing the wheels of the world. <laughs> By 1960, the Degners were hobnobbing with the Soviet elite and considered members of the GDR aristocracy. However, nothing in the East could satisfy Degner. His high-class social status didn't change the fact that he was still paid little more than a factory worker. It was embarrassing to see his Western peers speed around in Ferraris and Porsches, not to mention stack piles of cash. Plus, That's a... That's a pretty nice little park right there. <laughs> yeah, we like that big stack of cash. <laughs> Plus, he and his wife, Gerda, were becoming disillusioned about raising their children in a communist state. Very soon, he would find a way out. Fittingly, the company that would aid in his escape was on the other side of the world. By the late 1950s, Suzuki was operating the largest two-stroke manufacturing plant in the world other than my bedroom. <laughs> like Honda before them, the company decided to expand westward and develop a race team. Very fan. This is the beginning of some very big gentlemen. We did we did an episode on Honda joining the TT. I'm talking about Suzuki right now, Joe. Try and pay attention. Oh, jeez. <laughs> But Suzuki's first two years in the European race world were far from smooth. Not only were their bikes inferior, but even communication with headquarters back in Japan was unreliable and expensive. They also had to deal with cultural differences and racism fueled by post-war resentment. Yeah, man, this is like 10 years after World War II. Yeah, this is barely a blink in the eye of that harsh mistress history. Meanwhile, Degner and MZ were leading the world championship points race for the first time. Caden's 1961-125 was a revelation. It had new front suspension and a stronger frame for better handling, and he'd taken the engine to 25 horsepower and its red line from 10,000 to 10,400 RPM, making it the first naturally aspirated engine in history to theoretically make 200 horsepower per liter and the fastest motorcycle in the world championship. Well said. Suzuki president Shunzo Suzuki knew that his team was potentially years away from achieving the performance of the MZ two strokes. Shunzo called up Suzuki's Western educated fixer, Jimmy Matsumiya, and the two decided to get creative with their efforts by orchestrating the theft of MZ's designs. Whoa. I'm getting the old crew back together for one last job. You know, I'm retired Shunzo. It's to steal MZ's plans. When do we start? <laughs> first, they needed an inside man. And the first name that came to mind was Ernst Degner. <laughs> Jimmy had first become acquainted with Degner during the 1960 TT. We made a whole uh, episode about the TT. It's pretty gnarly, pretty fun. You should listen to it. When the two men's teams were staying at the same hotel. Man, I bet that was fun. The German and the <laughs> Japanese man had formed a bond over a mutual love of an American art form and jazz music. It's the notes you don't hear. It's the notes you don't play. Yes. Degner's fondness for jazz was a tell of his undeniable admiration for the West. Because it came from America, listening to jazz in the GDR was a borderline criminal offense. And by borderline, I mean probably a criminal offense. (laughs) (laughs) The government even tried framing East German jazz player Reginald Rudorf as a spy in 1957. Do you know, going back to the most Isley Cantina theme, that style of music in the Star Wars books and script is called jizz? Jizz. Jizz, that's a real thing. Yep, it's a real thing. Uh, George Lucas is a genius. George Lucas is a genius. (laughs) Matsumiya, who was very well aware of Degner's restlessness, agreed to offer the racer the moon. Beyond a guaranteed factory rider position, Degner would get 10,000 pounds a season. Wow. Almost 10 times Suzuki's typical salary for their racers. 
but obviously Suzuki wasn't just paying Degner for his writing skills. No, 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 Nowadays with jets, like um, I think Japan paid a Russian jet fighter to mm-hmm. defect and fly the plane over to Japan so they can reverse engineer the jet. Whoa. Is it the Sukhoi Felon? No, that's a plane. Yeah, they that's used a it jet? in Top Gun. Oh, that's amazing. I got to see that movie. Dude, not even joking. Best movie I've ever seen. It got 97 on Roddy T's. Dude, I, it's how I imagine people felt when they saw Ben and Her. <laughs> like just the scale of it is, I had no idea. My favorite Sukhoi is the SU-27 Flanker. Not as cool a name as the Felon, but I love the shape of this plane. It's so fucking cool. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That's the one I'd get. <laughs> the 5.7's tight, too, though. They're a little angled, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit wider. It's like a Gen 5 stealth aircraft, kind of like our F-22 and F-35. It actually looks a lot like the YF-23 experimental prototype. Oh, my God, uh, dude. You guys are too deep for me. They call it, in the movie, they call it the Gen 5 fighter. Last year when we were shooting bumper to bumper out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, it's like right next to that Air Force base, and they were doing like a lot of flyovers, and this pair of F-22s flew over the track, super loud, by the way. Yeah. And then... They both pulled up and just went straight up. Yeah. So fast. It's so sick. I'd never seen anything like it. They look gray in pictures, but it's more, it has like this like gold kind of reflective Whoa. effect. It was incredible. I was at the net, not to go too far off into planes, but I was at the NASCAR championship a couple years ago when Joey Logano won. And uh, I was like standing by the podium and the two pilots that did the flyover like in these, like, I think F-18s or something, they were standing next to me. And, like, Joey was getting his trophy, like, for winning, like, the NASCAR mm-hmm. championship. You know, like, this guy, like, you work your whole life and never get this, but, like, this guy was getting it. And one of the pilots leaned over to the other one, and he goes, he didn't fly a fighter jet today. <laughs> <laughs> you got to take your victories. Dude, and I was like, huh, well, yeah. I mean, what you did is cooler. <laughs> yeah. There's not a single thing on this planet yet that is cooler than flying a fighter jet. <laughs> I guess raising a, a son, like a strong child, and then right under that is flying a fighter jet. <laughs> Where's making like a realistic looking cake, like a cake that looks like something else? Strong seven. Whoa, still top 10 though Okay. Oh yeah, for sure, man If you can make a cake that looks like a circular saw And I can't tell the difference (laughs) If I I brought a cake that looked like a circular saw to the office And I was like, what's this? I pretended like I was going to saw my fingers But then it just turned into cake (laughs) And then my hand was also cake We'll get back to more past gas But right now, a word from our sponsors when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Degner's escape to West Germany in 1961 played out like a Bond movie. On the same weekend he was racing in the Swedish Grand Prix, he arranged for a friend to loan him his bulky American car, perfect for smuggling an entire family in its trunk. So they let him leave East Germany to race and go to Sweden, right? Yeah, so this is interesting. Like, I'm trying to think this whole time. I was like, okay, if you're like, a, if you're a, a, a communist bureaucrat, looking over a racing team, you know, you don't want your athlete to leave. So like you obviously can't let his family leave with him Yeah. during any of these racing weekends because then they're going to escape. There's a big risk of them escaping. Mm-hmm. So 
it must have been kind of like a, a last minute kind of deal yeah. to have approval for his family to go. Otherwise, no, no, like, we're just going to go to Sweden. I'm going to have a couple able skivers. I'm going to do a little <laughs> skiing and then I'll be back. My family's not coming. They were probably driving a, uh, some sort of Mopar because those trunks in the 60s were enormous. After the race, which some believe Degner intentionally lost, Degner secretly left the track with a suitcase full of blueprints, drawings, and engineering notes on MZ's two-stroke technology and drove into Denmark. From there, he caught a ferry to West Germany and then drove to the French border to finally reunite with his family. Incredibly, after completing his harrowing journey, Degner was still determined to finish out the racing season. (laughs) He was in the hunt for the 125 championship, but his new bike from Suzuki was delayed during shipping and he ended up missing the final race. After the 61 season, Suzuki quickly sent Degner to Japan to develop their 1962 Grand Prix engine. Using what he learned from Caden, Degner helped design not only a new 125cc racer, but also a 50cc version, both relative replicas of the 61MZ design. Caden would later discover that even the specialized tools he made had been copied by Suzuki Manufacturing. As the new season began, less than a year after his defection, Degner returned to the Grand Prix circuit aboard his new Suzuki and was immediately successful, winning that year's inaugural 50cc world title. That's tiny. That's a pit bike championship. (laughs) Basically, his new New Zealander teammate, Hugh Anderson, very New Zealand name, won both the 50 (laughs) and 125 titles the following year and would go on to claim the 50cc title again in 1964 and the 125 crown in 1965. However, during this tremendous wave of Suzuki success, Degner's life would be forever altered at the Japanese Grand Prix in November of 1963 when he crashed his 250 on the first lap of the famous Suzuka circuit. He was rescued from a ball of fire, needed over 50 skin grafts, and was unable to return to racing until the next September. Impressively, upon Degner's return, he won the 125cc Japanese Grand Prix and three more races in 1965 before retiring at the end of the 1966 season. That's incredible. Yeah. That he has like, because normally when racers crash and come back, they're a little bit scared and yeah. tentative. He's like the Nicky Lauda of tiny bike racing. Yeah, this dude just sends it. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Suzuki, who began the decade in the GP cellar, ended the 60s with 15 world championships, bringing a two-stroke revolution to the sport. Within a little more than a decade, four strokes were tossed by the wayside in Grand Prix racing which is pretty interesting. I didn't know that. Nowadays, it's all four-stroke stuff. For a long time, it was all two-strokes, right? It was two-strokes. Yeah, and then the four-strokes were bigger and beefier and just better, and then these uh-huh. guys come in and just, like, take it. it it's like it's like it comes goes back and forth. Same thing in motocross, well, too. Well, you know, like, that's what I'm saying, like, like, within our lifetime. Yeah. Like, what, like, I know as, like, GP. Like, I, there's a time when it switched re- relatively recently from two to four in motocross for sure. I think that in, on, on like road, road racing, it's, it's been four stroke for a good long time now. Degner's betrayal rocked Caden. The MZ team completely fell apart. They'd never again touched the success that Degner achieved and their brainiac engineer seemed to take it the hardest friend and former mechanic. Ferry Brower said, one thing that Walter always emphasized to me was that was absolutely devastated by Degner's defection. He said, Ernst left me at the time MZ could have won a world championship. He left me alone. I had given all of my trust to him as a person and as a technician, and he betrayed me. That is the toughest thing that happened in my life. It wasn't when I developed a missile to kill people. That was pretty hard, but this hit me harder. Even through the years of MZ's success, Caden wasn't heralded in any real way. The glitz and glamour all went to Degen because the government wanted people to think that the bikes were powered by communist teamwork. The GDR did give Caden the Patriotic Medal of Merit in 1965, but it was small potatoes compared to what he believed could have been possible if Degner had stayed and his technology not compromised. Caden lived in obscurity for the last few decades of his life, and he died of cancer in March of 1996. Wow. 
Um, what does living in obscurity mean? Because sometimes I think it would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, say you have a cabin mm-hmm. and a really good dog. And you get up every morning, you chop wood, you hang out with your dog. Is that obscurity? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. I think you have to be involved in something kind of public and then... Like a YouTube channel. Then move away from the public eye. Like a YouTube channel. Obscured. Okay. So like say you had a YouTube channel. Yes. And then you move to the woods next to a nice lake. This is really specific. And then you live like Nick Cage and Pig. Um, yeah, because he was a famous chef in that, and uh-huh. he had the spotlight for a while, and then he mm-hmm. d- didn't want to be in – he wanted to be obscured from the public eye. Yeah, I'm going to live in obscurity one day. Cool. Sounds well, good. Let, let us know uh, your address whenever yeah. – Yeah, for sure. You can come by. Let us know the GPS coordinates because I know that they won't have an address. So. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll like make a video out of it. Yeah, Put yeah. It on the channel. For yeah. sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Finding my long lost boss? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're roommates with Rivers Cuomo and you guys are making an album? <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to have Hurley from Lost on the cover? <laughs> Degner, meanwhile, would meet his end much sooner than Caden. Degner was a changed man after his fiery crash in 63. Quote, he lost his glow, sense of humor, everything, said teammate Jim Redman. Even when he returned to the track, people close to him say a dark depression had washed over him. Degner's personal relationships also began to deteriorate. Many friends said he pushed them out or cut them off. Degner even fell out with Paul Petrie, the friend who had risked his freedom by helping smuggle Degner's family to the West. So I guess that answers that question, how they got to West Germany. As time went on, Degner's reliance on morphine and other medications took an extreme mental and physical toll. His family says he began to experience delusions and paranoia. When he died in 1983, at the age of only 51, rumors quickly circulated that he had committed suicide or may have even been murdered by the East German Stasi after a decades-long quest for revenge. But the most believable version of events is that he died of heart failure from ill health. We can feel for Degner's plight, but it's hard to arouse much sympathy for Caden in all of this, given his status as an ex-Nazi engineer. We mentioned Werner von Braun earlier. According to writer Max Oxley's book, Stealing Speed, The Biggest Spy Scandal in Motorsports History, Caden had an opportunity to join the celebrity scientist stateside after the war, but declined. Probably part of Operation Paperclip. 100%. Werner von Braun was a Nazi war criminal. And we put him on TV. Yes. Caden's life could have easily taken a very different path. Both men reflect how complicated life was for Germans during and after World War II. Complicated is a good descriptor uh-huh. of that stuff. But I don't want to be sympathetic. That's like, it's also an easy way to say, saying, oh, it's complicated is a very mm-hmm. easy way to excuse things. And I'm not mm-hmm. excusing it. You yeah. know, a lot of these guys uh, were, were spared. They were spared the hangman's noose by things like Operation Paperclip or, as we just read in this episode, the Soviets did the same thing. They had their own program saving these Nazi well, scientists. we like, fought over them. We, yeah, the, we did. The USSR and, and the United States fought over the Nazis. They were like chases and races to get to these scientists first before the other side got to them. And, you know, these guys, they, they get a new job in a new country in a new territory under new leadership and try their best to forget what they did in the past, uh, maybe try to make peace with it in some way, but it's not excusing it. But at least when it comes to Ernst Degner, his legacy is that he took things into his own hands. You know what my favorite Ernest movie is? Ernst jumps over the Iron Curtain. Mine is uh, Ernest Scared Stupid. (laughs) That's a really good one with a... The tree and the... Yeah. Isn't there leprechauns in it or something? It's like little trolls and then they don't like milk, so they feel super circus full of milk. Oh, yeah. All right, we've got some listener mail. Uh, James, do you want to hit that? Hey, guys. I just want to start off by saying how much I love this show and all the other media donut media makes. You guys brighten up my Monday every week. I wanted to chime in on what the Yugo's equivalent today would be. 
I think at around $14,500, the Mitsubishi Mirage is pretty close. It's cheap and kind of cheaply made car that gets good mileage, and that's about it. Thanks for all the great stuff, you guys. I can't wait for the next high-low. Steven, Space Coast, Space Coast, Coast baby. Space Coast, Space coast, coast to coast. Thanks, Steven. Shouts to that Space Coast. That is a pretty good, pretty analogous car, I guess. I drove one on a racetrack. Yeah. When? Fast car, oh. slow driver. Oh, yeah. How was it? <laughs> uh, terrible. It's a three-cylinder. It, it was the worst car that I could run. <laughs> well, uh, Stephen, you'll be happy to know that by the time this airs, I think the first uh, video in a three-part series, uh, we're putting V8s in the 350Zs. And, yeah, we're right. We're currently in the throes of it. We've started both of our motors I cut a hole in the bottom of high car on accident. <laughs> We're putting on angle kits. Uh, Nolan's car, is it on the ground right now? Not yet, no. Almost on the ground. Should be on the ground Monday. Uh, hopefully, uh, mine will be too because we've got to go to the dyno Tuesday. And then uh, in six days from when we're recording this, we're going to drag race them. Um, and yeah. When's the alignment guy coming? I don't know, man. We'll talk about it offline. We definitely have to get a photo of both of you guys in front of your cars with your arms crossed. Oh for yeah, thumbnail. for sure. For sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> classic that's okay. drag race photo. <laughs> Hit us up at pascasadonimedia.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode. This was a really fun one. I don't know about fun. It was a really interesting one. Fun. Great, great story. Um, I'm going to check out that book. I'm going to check out that book. Um, Follow the boys at Joji Weber, at James Pumphrey. Yeah. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Subscribe wanna... to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. Leave Check. us a review. That's how these things work. That's right. Um, Stay in touch. Also support our sponsors. Uh, and uh, if you want to make a podcast, just go ahead and make one. It's pretty easy. All you need is like a uh, microphone. <laughs> why is this? Why is this your sign off now? Because <laughs> I want to encourage people <laughs> to do things. Okay. I don't want to just say, "Hey, take care" or "Be kind" or "I love you." I want to encourage our audience to make things. Oh, that, that's great. I just wanted to clarify. Cool. I'm on a real Casey Neistat kick these days. You're a Casey Nice dad. Well, he's an, he's nicer than me and a dad. Oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> All right, bye, guys. Goodbye. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.